Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Today on Parenting in the Trenches, I am having the privilege to speak with Dylan Benson, who is a dad um, who's very open about mental health conversations. And I would say that it's it's real advocacy work when we are sharing our own stories uh, because it reduces the stigma around the conversation. So really appreciate that personal work that you do. Um, Dylan's with Better With Adventure, and we're going to talk a little bit. That's actually how I found Dylan um, online through Instagram because I was following some of the photography work he was doing and got me all jazzed about seeing different parts of my own province Um, and then noticed how open he was around talking about mental health and his own journey. And um, so uh, I'll let Dylan actually introduce himself because I'd love the story to come from him personally and we'll kick off our conversation about parental mental health and grieving um, after go from there. So Dylan, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's uh, nice to have you, uh, you know, reaching out just kind of spontaneously, really, uh, as you <laughs> mentioned, just kind of from finding my photography and then going, oh, hey, this guy talks about mental health and um, you know, it's it's an important message to get out there. I feel, and I try to do it on a regular basis. So uh, I appreciate you, you know, recognizing that and reaching out. Today, we wanted to talk a little about your own experience because this is a bit more of a personal than professional conversation. Um, but it, I know that that's a bit of an artificial line because it bleeds into the the stuff that we do and we're passionate about in life. But could you share a bit about what you feel is kind of pertinent for? people to understand about your history, your experience, your lived experience? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess why I'll start at, uh, so eight and a half years ago or, uh, nine years ago, next week, uh, mm-hmm. I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we were on again, off again for, we were together in high school. Then we were on again, off again for 16 years. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then we, the last time we got together, we were together for five years. We got married in July of 2013. Uh, we were pregnant a month later. And, um, uh, and then when Robin was, uh, five weeks pregnant, um, or five months pregnant, sorry, she was 20 weeks and a day. Um, she went brain dead mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, basically she woke up with a headache one day and, uh, sent me to the grocery store to grab her some medication for it. And I came back and she was unconscious on our bathroom floor and, uh, they took her to the hospital after working on her in our, in the hallway for an hour. And, uh, when we got to the hospital, they said that her brain was 80% filled with blood and there was a 0% chance of saving her. And Unreal. Um, so at the time they, so obviously that was, you know, entirely devastating and confusing. Um, and so at the time, as I mentioned, so she was 20 weeks and a day pregnant with our son. And, um, so they had asked me, uh, if I wanted to have them attempt to try and save him. Um, and so, uh, it had never been attempted in Canada before to keep somebody who was brain dead and pregnant, uh, alive. And it had only been tried just over 30 times in medical history worldwide. Um, yeah. and so, um, I, at first I, I had to like acknowledge to them that I understood that there was a 0% chance of saving Robin. And so, uh, mm. it, right. And, uh, this, 
you know, not that there wasn't already a 0% chance, but they were going to have to drill a, a hole in her brain to drain the blood yes. so that the rest yeah. of her body could survive. And so it's really having to come to terms with the fact that like, like yeah. that loss is happening. There's nothing you can do about that. Do you want to try and save your son? Uh, and uh, it was a no brainer for me. Um, you know, I, I, you know, Robin's parents and my family were there with me at the hospital. Of course, this was all happening over a period of three hours, really. Yeah. Um, and, um, but, you know, I had their support and really either way, you know, they both Robin's family, and my family said, you know, Hey, if this is going to be too heavy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't want to mm-hmm. try this, then we don't have to do that. Um, and, uh, but I, I knew instantly that the, for me, the answer was yes, I would like to try. And so, uh, so we, whenever we started on that journey where, uh, essentially, you know, Robin's brain has stopped working, but her body was still working in her heart and her lungs and blood pressure and all of that. And so, in the hospital over the next, so essentially their goal, if if it was attainable, was to get to kind of like at least her being 30 weeks along before attempting any type of delivery. Uh, but, you know, when we got to week 24, they had asked, um, you know, like basically until about week 25 or 26, the baby still isn't really viable. And so okay. like, so if Robin's body fails at week 23 or 24, like, right. y- you know, we don't think it's advisable to try and save him. Um, and okay. so for that first month, uh, basically, it was like, gosh, dang, every single day, just not knowing. Seriously. And then we got to week 25 and 26, and we kept going. Um, but then at 28 weeks in a day, uh, like, obviously, I was in the hospital every day with Robin and, um, you know, holding her hand and, um, you know, reading stories to my son, Ivor, in the womb. And, um and having weekly meetings or sometimes three times a week with like doctors and counselors and everything, because again, Mm -hmm. this had never been tried in Canada. So Mm -hmm. their plan changed almost daily and they had to find, figure out who was going to be working each day in case Robin's body failed. And so Mm -hmm. at 28 weeks in a day, uh, her blood pressure just wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't sustain itself any longer. And so, um, so they said today's the day and, um, so that night, uh, they delivered Ivor at uh, just after seven and then in the evening, um, and they kept Robin's body alive for another five hours so that uh, Ivor's birthday wouldn't be on the anniversary of Robin's passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then they took her off of support, um, and uh, Ivor spent the next 12 weeks in the NICU, um, and so I was yeah there every day, and um yeah, until, you know, and he went from, you know, like drinking, you know, whatever he had a CPAP machine on and could have, and was having, you know, like milliliters of, of formula through like per yeah. day um, until until he was ready to come home, uh, which was, you know, just a few days after his original due date. Um, and then I came home with with just him. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I it was very difficult, the grieving part of it, um, because you know, it's hard to grieve and be a parent of a newborn at the same time. Um, It's, you know, it's like, it's, you know, if anybody's ever, whatever, cried your heart out because you love somebody, um, it's, it's really hard, maybe even impossible to like do that and be holding your child and whatnot. And so, 
so I, you know, I had to, but I had to just be the best dad I could be. And thankfully, I have the support of my family and Robin's family, and people come over and help me out. Uh, but you know, I, uh, you know, I got through it um, with a lot of help and support and support from the community, and uh, and I had. Uh, love and prayers from like our, our story ended up being in international news literally mm-hmm. everywhere. And so I had messages from people from all over the world of support and, uh, and prayers from people and uh, that I had never met. And, um, you know, it really helped me to get me through, but uh, you know, but then I, I spent several years certainly being um, just depressed, really. Uh, mm-hmm. I would, you know, give it my all with my son, uh, when like, you know, but once he was in bed, like, you know, I was definitely full of depression and didn't enjoy being alone with my thoughts. Um, and, you know, and it was hard to cope with that. Um, and, you know, I went to, uh, I went to a thing called Camp Widow, which happens, uh, in several times, uh, in the year throughout North America. And uh, I went to that two years in a row to learn about, how to be a grieving parent and going to seminars on that and uh, what it's like when knowing that your child will never grow up getting to meet their parent. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, getting through, you know, like I really, I didn't, and the, you know, a couple of years later I got into a relationship where I, I wasn't really allowed to grieve. Um, and so my, yeah, my new partner, um, I don't know, it was insecurity or jealousy or, or what? Uh, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I, you know, being with, um, being with somebody who has lost their partner, uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's not an easy scenario. Eh? It's very yeah. complicated, yeah. and um, because you know, you have to let go of the right. This isn't an ex girlfriend, or you know, this is whatever. It's, it's yeah. somebody that you loved, and of course, you're you're not you're never going to stop have loving that person. With. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but, you know, I think that, uh, the, you know, comments from my friends and family and stuff were like, well, I mean, like the, it was overboard in the sense that I wasn't really allowed to grieve. And so I, I didn't really start properly grieving until much later, you know, until probably mm-hmm. two years ago, really. Um, and, um, and so, it, you know, it's tough to navigate. And, and now as Ivor gets older, so Ivor's just turned eight uh, in just a few months ago and um he, he, with him teaching him about robin as time has gone on and constantly adjusting the conversation to his level of understanding as to what happened uh it's you know it, there's a lot of repeated conversations of you know like well what happened and uh and why did you know why did her brain hurt and yeah um you know and having to right and this i don't want to say having to but re, but saying those things over and over again in in a ways and, and adjusting it and uh and letting you know and then trying to reassure him you know one of my biggest fears even you know because i had six weeks where he was still in the womb and robin was in the hospital but i yeah. was you know like cautiously optimistic that i was going to be a father yeah no guarantees so, yeah um, you know, but I tackled the questions of like, how will I ever tell Ivor about this? How will I tell him about this without him having the fear that it's going to happen to me or somebody mm-hmm. else that he knows? Mm-hmm. And um, and we weren't, you know, although what happened to Robin, you could, you know, you could call it an aneurysm, but 
because so they weren't able to do the testing that they would do on somebody else because of the potential harm to the womb. And so uh. we so we can't really ever know for sure whether it was just an aneurysm or what happened. Um, uh. And so not having that have assurance myself, story. right? Yeah. And so right. how do you how do you assure a child that's not going to happen to you or somebody else yeah. when when you don't really know? Um, no. And so um we've been just yeah we've been on that journey and it'll be something that comes on for you know that you go through forever and the uh you know it's constantly adjusting and i've you know I'm, thankfully i've got a you know a large community of widows and widowers that i've connected with that i get to see like just through social media really their progress uh and what happens in their life and what happens when it's 10 years later 20 years later and they're still you know, I, I love to see those posts where somebody is whatever that now they're in a relationship and they're married again with a child, but they're still mm -hmm. annually or several times a year recognizing the loss of their partner and what, what a role they played in their life. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, to have that healthy integration. To, yeah. Having that to look up to uh, certainly has helped a lot. If ever there was a, a storyline of complex grief and delayed grief, this is it, right? I, th I, you were so interrupted so often by so many things. And it seems like it was, if it wasn't one thing, the next thing fell into place to kind of postpone or hinder or like suspend maybe is the word suspend your grieving process. And, you know, what we know from grief is that it's not linear and it's organic and it's messy and it's complicated as is, it's very personal. Um, and when you throw in all those aspects of your journey to say, I, I had so much uncertainty, I, I was just picturing you already, like in those weeks of trying to grieve in while hospital was kind of your primary home, mm -hmm. right? That how do you do that with people around and decisions to make? And it's just not natural environment to be doing that, right? And then you bump into the next phase of now I'm home alone with an infant and trying to grieve and it's not the time fully, right? I mean, you have mm. to, but you can't fully, yeah. right? It just felt, it, when you talk about it, it feels like it's just so long. It has had to be so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it did. And it, um, you know, I think that because obviously grief is so different for everybody and the conversations yeah. surrounding grief, um, you know, to anybody who's ever lost somebody, it's right. It's such a personal experience and uh, mm -hmm. people try to, you know, the comforting statements of like, oh, I, you know, I'm sorry for your loss or some, or then that's some people are like, oh, well, oh, I, I, I understand because my brother passed mm -hmm. away, my father mm -hmm. passed away. Uh, but, you know, but the situations aren't the same uh, and no. no one's trying to, you know, it's not a competition of mine was harder than yours or whatever. And um, it, you just sometimes it's just like none of it. They're all none of them are the wrong thing to say because they all come from a good place. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, but having those conversations, it was just difficult. And uh, and because our story was in the international news yeah, sometimes having having conversations right like having conversations about the loss of your partner at times when you don't expect to have those conversations mm -hmm. with people you don't expect to have them with yeah um, 
right? It's like surprising moments of grief, you know, where it's a whatever, yeah. a taxi driver in, you know, a taxi driver halfway across <laughs> oh the country goodness. is like, hey, aren't you that guy, right? Or wow. you're running into people on the street and they're like, oh my gosh, like you're baby Ivor's dad. And yes, yeah. I am. And right. And then you realize, you know, and then these people are like, oh, I, I follow you on Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you leave the conversation and, you know, people like you kind of see the look on their face of like, I just said, you know, like, I know you because your wife died and I saw it on TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this, yeah. um, how bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but you know, like it's, it's just, you learn and you adapt. Um, and you know, with Ivor, as he was growing up, it was it, like, you know, it didn't really play a factor for the most part because he was at a young age and lo- there's mm-hmm. lots of family around. And so, um, it was just me and my, you know, my inability really for a multitude of reasons to allow myself to be grieving. Um, but mm-hmm. still having, you know, like it, the year kind of plays out like the, so Robin went into hospital, uh, three days after Christmas. And so like, that's, you know, and kind of like she passed away then in a sense. And so, yeah. Yeah. um, and so, and then Ivor was born February 8th and then she was, you know, actually passed away on February 9th. And then, mm-hmm. You know, and then it's like, uh, and then not too long afterwards, then, you know, it would have been Robin's birthday and then it's Mother's Day. And, you know, and so like kind of annually, you know, those kind of like four dates are very challenging um, and sometimes they're easier than others. Uh, And sometimes I don't, you know, I used to, the moment December would start, I would start dreading what the end of the month is going to be like. Yeah. Um, You know, and then, you know, but some years... Some years that it didn't bother me, and other times I would have conversations with her family as an example. That you know, they're like, "Hey, we just need to keep in mind that like it is really just a day, and that right, like all of the rest of it, it's a lot it's all... of mental preparation, right? Every time, yeah, but yeah. it's but it's all it really is just all happening upstairs, right? It's yeah, uh, yeah. and it's how you you know, and I don't want to say let it affect you, right? Because sometimes it's just too overwhelming, but, uh, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's what goes on up there. And, and if you constantly remind yourself that, uh, Hey, it's not December 28th of this year, right? It didn't happen to like this to right now, right? It was seven years ago. And so like allow yourself to be present in this moment, in this Christmas, in this family situation where you, like you can be happy. Um, yeah. And so, I guess that's that's kind of where the the impetus of my mental health journey really started, and uh, and so then I was, as I mentioned, I got into a relationship that uh, lasted uh, almost four years, three and a half years, um, on and off with a partner, and we had a child together, and then um, six months after that child was born, uh, her and I separated. Uh, and it was, uh, she ended our relationship and it was out of the blue as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, we had broken up several times, but I, I didn't think that there would be a family ending breakup. And, gotcha. um, and so, uh, you know, and it also meant that, you know, my now youngest son at the time who was, he was six months, uh, you know, he was now a brother to my son, mm-hmm. Ivor. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I felt like I had lost, um, my partner who was, going to be a mother figure for Ivor um, yeah. and then my sons I wouldn't be living with both of my sons and they wouldn't be living together and it was devastating and mm-hmm. uh, and I I wasn't ready like I was 
it was too overwhelming. And so like I had, you know, I had checked myself into mental health uh, into like, you know, as far as like I'm giving up on life uh, at one point. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so I was, you know, I was in a, a psych facility for five days um, and, um, and, so, you know, but after we broke up, um, I realized that I like the giving up wasn't an option. Um, mm. you know, I have, I have two kids and, mm. um, and so what can I do to, you know, I needed to take control of it. And so I needed to acknowledge that that relationship was over, but I needed to start being the best version of myself because I like, I know what the depression could do to me and it could, you know, it could take me out mm. for sure. And so I couldn't allow yeah. that to happen. And so that's when I started my better with adventure Instagram account. And I, uh, I started walking 20,000 steps a day. And so mm. I just go big I, or go home. Dylan. Right? Yeah. Like, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my so first goal looks nothing <laughs> like your first goal. That's not how I enter exercise, but okay. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so I just, I just started taking photos, uh, and posting them and, mm. uh, and whatever that became a passion. And it was, you know, like, I started to turn that into whatever, like, is this an art and I'm working on a craft type yeah. thing on how to improve. Um, and I'm just getting in shape. And I, so I would put, I, w- I was living with my parents at the time. And so I would put Ivor to bed. Like I would, I would walk to like, I would drop Ivor off at daycare and then I would walk to work and then I would walk from work to go and pick him up from daycare. And then we would get home. And as soon as he went to bed, I would go out and I would walk for hours. Yeah. And, um, and then on weekends I would just get out and we would go, I would just take a car and go for a drive and we go, mm-hmm. me and Ivor, we just go find some waterfalls, uh, or find a train trestle or whatever. And I, so I just started, that's when I, you know, and then I, at that time is when I really started to feel more like I was starting to grieve. Um, mm. and cause that, that was the first time, you know, after that relationship ended, I felt like, Oh no, I can. Right. But I, yeah. but I, but I also still felt like if I allow myself to really be grieving right now, I won't be doing the getting outside stuff that I'm doing. Because it, right. I will just fall into depression and I will sleep for long periods of time what and it was, will, still won't be enough, you know? Yeah. And, um, so then 18 or 20 months ago, I guess, um, I met my partner Mariko on Instagram. Mm. Um, hmm. and we, we, yeah, we met on Instagram and, um, she lived in Nanaimo and I lived in Victoria and those are about 140 kilometers away That's from each doable. other. That's doable. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so for three weeks, uh, we, I, I stopped exercising and I started chatting with her for five to six hours every single night. <laughs> um, and so we put in whatever hundreds of hours over three weeks, um, and then decided we wanted to be together forever. Um, and mm-hmm. so, uh, I switched Ivor's schools. I moved to Nanaimo and we got engaged wow. and, you know, in that, you know, in the hundreds of hours that we spoke on video, th- that's when I really started to grieve because she just oh. let me, um, oh. and, uh, and which was, um, you know, amazing. and such a, I don't know, I don't know how to describe the feeling of, Hey, I'm getting to this new relationship and we're in this honeymoon phase of relationship. And I, I love this talking, but I also, you know, certainly didn't want to scare her away. Right. But she had, she had known who I was because she recognized us from the news or whatever. Um, but realized that, you know, like 
when she was thinking about us as a relationship, there was the internal conversation or with her friends or of like, can you do this? Mm-hmm. You know, because because I felt like and I had been told that, you know, it's like an airport full of baggage, really, you know, like mm. I, um, and so um, but she was willing to take it on. And uh, and she was just like, we all just have a past. It's not a bunch of baggage. It's just what stuff that's happened to you before. Mm. And so having the you know when it came time to christmas and you know when she was like i mean post away about robin you know what i mean like if you want to talk about it and you want to talk about this journey then i'm not here to tell you what you can and can't post this isn't your past relationship where Mm -hmm. you had to have the photo and the caption reviewed before you could post it this is this is you do you um and so i just i just started i just started doing it um and Mm -hmm. When I started posting about my mental health journey, um, I just people it just started to resonate with people. Some because some people had started following me from Facebook, but most people the thing I like for a long time I didn't even have my name Dylan on my Better with Adventure account because yeah. I really wanted to separate that you know this journey from my story. That I wanted this yeah. to be you know this is a new me and mm. um, you know. But then at some point I realized that. I can do both on the same account. I don't, right. I can just, I can just share me. And if people, if people are here for it, they're here for it. Um, And, you know, and when I started talking about the mental health aspect of it, it really started to resonate with people. And, and then I would see comments from people saying like, I really, I appreciate your openness and I would never be able to talk about something like that. And um, being a part of that journey, uh, it's, you know, there was one lady in particular that she used to follow. I didn't know this until months or years, a year later, really. But she was following my photography at the time. Um, and she was in a place where, like, she couldn't get out of bed. She was so depressed. Yeah. And yeah. she was basically going online daily to look for the photos that I would post. And that was her motivation mm-hmm. to get out of bed, to get downstairs, to get to the door, Incredible. to get to the balcony, and eventually get outside. And, um, and so at one point I had made a a vulnerable mental health post and she had commented on it. And at the time she was not the type of person to comment on an Instagram Mm -hmm. post. Um, but I got the impression that she wasn't okay. And so I just sent her a message just saying like, Hey, I'm just checking in. Are you okay? Uh, and, uh, and for her, that was life changing. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know like that literally was like okay it's okay to talk about these things and mm-hmm. um and so i i i found a company called gtf outside that is a clothing and mental health company and yeah. uh their whole message is to pardon my language what it's to get the fuck outside <laughs> for your yes. mental health that's what it's please for. do that's right um, yeah. and so when I, you know, at that point I had, whatever, I had grown my Instagram to something like 1500 followers at the time when I mm. got in touch with them. Um, but I had 10 years of marketing experience. And so they said, would you run our page? Uh, we'll, we'll pay you, you run the page. Um, Great. And so I started doing that. Uh, and then we started bringing on ambassadors, which are people who have, are buying the clothing. But really, these are people who are buying into the message to end the silence and the stigma yeah. surrounding mental health and about how much getting outside can be helpful for your mental health. Great. And 
uh, I ended up so through that uh, the the woman who I was just talking about had become an ambassador for this company, and uh, we subsequently started doing live calls every week. I interview one of the ambassadors for this company, and we talk about hmm. mental health. And hmm. for some of them, I only know what I see on their Instagram, and some of them don't really post anything on Instagram, so I just know a name and where they're from. Right. And we just get on a call and we start talking about mental Ooh. health. And um, so that woman, Shannon, I got a chance to chat with her on a, you know, on a video call where then she told me that I had, you know, kind of saved her life. Oh, and powerful. that, yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. but it really, you know, we talk, uh, I talk on my page and GTA outside, we just talk about, uh, that's how you do it is you just have conversations about mental health. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and that, you know, a message we talk about often is that you never know what somebody else is going through. So just be kind. And, you know, like that kindness aspect and the, you know, the freedom to talk about what's happening with your mental health, because mm -hmm. like, tell me somebody, you know, that isn't going through something. Right. right? Yes. It's right. just, it, right. And it doesn't have to We're be. We're just a... either good at hiding it or not. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. It's not happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when, when, when our story was in the news, people would write to me and say, like, the stresses that I'm going through in life, I just realized like, gosh, I've been stressing about this. This is such like small mm. garbage compared to, right. But at this, mm. at, right. And, but it's like, it's not about that because for each person, whatever is stressing you out is mm -hmm. stressing you out. Right. Yeah. And there's, there isn't anybody that doesn't have any stresses and sometimes yeah. those stresses really affect us. Mm. And so to, to just be able to talk about it and, Really, every day, every time we have one of those conversations and, you know, when we do it on GTF outside, you're doing it here on this. It's mm -hmm. enabling that conversation to spark another conversation, yeah. right? And when we start, when people just start talking about, hey, like, I, I watched this podcast and this guy went on and we told his story and how, you know, how that affected them. Like, that's a conversation that starts. And then somebody comes to watch it and they go like, I mean, if that person could talk about this, how come I can't talk about how I'm sad <laughs> exactly. that my aunt passed away? It right? normalizes it's, everything. Right? It's okay that you're sad yeah. about whatever, a dog dying and it's still affecting you. It doesn't matter what it is. We just need to keep talking about it. And by doing that, we're undoubtedly helping people. You have, in your story, in what you have shared, I, you've basically, to me, named the pathway to healing for a number of things that people struggle with. So what I've heard is this theme interwoven of how to find a way of integrating our hardship into our life, into the aliveness that we have. And when you talk about the ways in which we do that, I hear things like moving your body taking small steps. I don't think 20,000 steps is a small step, but <laughs> I would, I would say every step that you took toward the 20, that there was something forward moving, but not forward in the sense of forgetting. It was in the sense of how do I move it to become part of who I am, but not take me down. And, and that that's true for what we know about healing from trauma. That's true for what we know about healing through grief that and, and then when you named the how, I heard the need for safe spaces, not for comparison, but for allowing us to validate my, our own and each other's experiences for what they are for that person. And 
then being able to say it is part of who I am. It doesn't necessarily define who I am completely, but it is a part of who I am. And we don't need to shut that out or like gain this kind of false sense of closure where it's like it's behind me, it's away from me, but it's a part of who I am today, but it doesn't define who I am. And I loved when you mentioned something like this idea of like dates or we we become kind of ritually ritualistically attached to certain circumstances where we kind of froze in time where pain felt so significant or confusing or we were alone that sticks in our memory differently right but i love that beautiful transition that you talked about like when i could see the date as yes something happened for me that was really significant and hard around that date that have meaning, but now I can say, but it also holds its own meaning for today. Like today, it's, it's also a present experience, not only hooked in the past. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, there's, it is easy to clutch on to those anniversaries. Um, and, yeah. you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Right. I mean, we mm-hmm. see it mm-hmm. all the time. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, there's, I think that people who, uh, who acknowledged you know, it was 20 years ago, I lost my father to cancer or whatever the example mm-hmm. you want to use is, right? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in no. that. Hang, hang no. on to that. Right. Um, and yep. because so I feel like that sometimes the, like those might be, although you might think of the loss on a more frequent basis, uh, I mean, that's, you know, holding that safe space to go, Hey, at least on this day, everything else I can do, whatever life stress can wash over me. I can, let other things mm-hmm. come first for me but on this day for this moment even mm-hmm. i'm creating a safe space for myself to to remember or to grieve or yeah. whatever you need to do to get through so that yeah. tomorrow you're not still stuck on yesterday yes it's the facilitation of the movement is what i'm hearing makes it worthwhile it's not about are you clinging to a date or not it's how you make meaning out of that date and that that actually transitions when you're healing right? When you're grieving, when you're moving through it, it doesn't stay stuck. It ha- it evolves in a sense of what that means to you. Yeah. I just think it's important to, you know, to hang on to, hang on to the memories um, and, and mm-hmm. not, you know, and, and use those positive memories to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but focus on making new ones, right? I just think that mm-hmm. it's grow it's, it kind of, yeah, right? right? Yeah. It's easy Expand to, it. it's easy to, like uh, and I experience it. It's easy to just sit in the depression, right? Um, but yeah. it's you know, but finding those safe spaces and finding the finding the people in your support network who allow you to um, to have that safe space. And you know, one of the conversations that I had with Mariko, my partner, early on, she was having a stressful day, uh, and she said, "Do you have the emotional space to listen to a story about mm. what something that's Great happening question. to me right now?" Yeah. Right. And I had never been asked that before. Wow. And I just thought, like, what an amazing idea, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just that right to acknowledge that, like, you know, that, I mean, if we could all do that for each other on a regular yeah. basis, every everybody would just be you know, in a much better spot. And, mm-hmm. you know, at GTF Outside, I end a lot of our messages just that, like, if you have the emotional space to do so today, you should please reach out to somebody if you know they're experiencing yeah. difficulty. Yes. And, you know, and if you don't, then just, like, know that if you don't have the emotional space, perhaps you need to reach out to somebody. 
and mm. right and just kind of sit with that that mm-hmm. you know if you've got room in your cup uh share it right but if your cup is full i mean maybe you need to talk to somebody so that you yeah. can make yourself a little a little more room yeah on the topic of resources you've mentioned a couple and i i just think for someone who has lived a uh, weaved in and out of this journey for almost a decade now, um, you've collected and experienced groups of people, individual people, resources that are either in your community or abroad that you could probably then retroactively say, having gone through that or met that person or had that experience profoundly made a difference for my own journey, um, was helpful, was meaningful, um, and is available. What are the things that come to mind? You mentioned the the grieving, the widow camp. Is it widow. Camp, camp yeah, widow. Camp yeah. widow. Actually is called one? just Camp yeah. Widow. Yeah. So camp. there I went in San Diego, which happens in the summer every year. There's another yeah. one I think is in Toronto uh, and another one on the east coast of the, the US. So it happens, I believe, three times a year. Um, that was one of the most helpful things for me because it's like a three day workshop or whatever, but there'll be 50 seminars within there. And so it's best, it's specific to many different types of, of grief and, and widow or widowhood. So, uh, there will be like, yeah, there's one where you can bring your new partner so that they can understand what it's like to be with a widow or widower. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, there's right. There's ones of like, you know, my, my partner died in the army or from cancer or okay. whatever. Right. And so it's very, you can yeah. find something that relatable. is, that's mm-hmm. relatable to you. And, okay. um, and I, like, I think the most, I know, like that was super helpful. I find that these conversations that we do at GTF outside every week, I find uh, I'm shocked that like, cause when I get on these calls and I don't know what they're going to say and then they Mm -hmm. go, well, I'm 20 and I've had cancer and I've come back, but I have PTSD from finding out I had cancer. Right. And and navigating these conversations, I think the, I don't know, the biggest kind of resource I can suggest is have conversations um, because I, I think that, you know, and go out there and search it, find people that you have something in common with. Um, because that's really, uh, you know, I think that we, like we, you, we are not alone, right? Uh, like mm-hmm. it's, there's mm-hmm. too many people here for somebody to not be going through some version of what you've gone through, regardless yeah. of how rare it is, you know? Right. Um, you know, for myself, uh, you know, when Robin was in the hospital still, I had, hundreds of people suggest that I speak with a man named Matt Logalin who lives in the U.S. And Interesting. Uh, okay. his wife had died the day after giving birth to their daughter mm. um, six years before Ivor was born. Okay. And, um, and so I reached out to him and, uh, and then it turned out that, you know, like that people had been messaging him saying they had seen our story and were like, you got to talk to this guy. And so yeah. I got to talk with him. He lives in California and I got to speak with him before, uh, before Ivor was born. And uh, I went and met him uh, and like stayed at his house when I went to Camp Widow the first time and yeah. the second time. Um, and recently the movie Fatherhood featuring Kevin Hart. That's the story of my friend, Matt Logalin. Unreal. And okay. Matt, Kevin Hart plays my friend Matt Logalin. Um, and but <laughs> what a uh, world like, you live in, hey? right? But like <laughs> yeah. it's but that was just such a prime example of like 
there's a yeah. guy in another country who's going who a story went public after the death of his wife and yeah. so there no matter how rare it is even that yeah even that right there's like whatever it is somebody mm -hmm. is going through some version of it but you yep. won't know if you don't have those conversations and yes you know and for us like the story went public so it made it easier to f make those connections mm -hmm. but but they're out there right and so whatever your however large or small your platform is like mm -hmm. if you don't have the larger platform where it's easy for other people to come and find you then you need to go out and do some searching. Um, and, you know, and this, I mean, this is just a prime example of it, right? Is like there's parents who are struggling with the idea of, you know, of parenting in the trenches and parenting through difficult times. Like that's a common theme that if you look for, it's out there, right? But a lot yeah. of parents could easily sit back and go, gosh, parenting is just really challenging for me. And, yeah. and perhaps it's my mental state, but go out there and search for things like this podcast and then start watching. And then if you resonate with the story, message the people that were in it and just mm. whatever, even just a, Hey, thanks for that chat. I watched like that was helpful or whatever. you just start those conversations? You never know what resources that person will pass on uh, yeah. and just right. Let one conversation start another to help, you know, help everybody. Uh, it, to me, I'm, I come back to the idea that every small step we take seems so insignificant, but it's self-perpetuating, right? Whatever direction we're headed in. If the one small step we t take is toward further isolation or quiet, quieting our story or not having the conversation, it kind of doubles down on itself, right? It, it, it takes us in the on a path of convincing ourselves we're the only one because we're not having the conversations to open to open the knowledge that there are other people out there. And so for, for people who might want to kind of poo poo or say, it's not that big of a deal to take like so small, what's that going to do? If you're taking that one small step toward openness and toward connection and networking, it will take you down a whole path of that, right? You can't know where it's going to lead, but could you trust the one step in the right direction? Because I think that's all we've got the bandwidth to do when we are bogged down in grief, when we are bogged down with depression, when we are high in states of anxiety. We cannot fathom the down the path version of us. We can only really have the stamina to just get out of bed or get outside, right? Yeah, it's so true. And I think a lot of it comes down to, I talk about just the power of intention. Um mm. And then when it's like, is, you know, like you giving yourself positive talk, right? And mm -hmm. I think that we can, it's so often you can have, because I mean, when you really think about how many conversations you have in real life and how many of them you have with yourself <laughs> your that affect head. you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's right. I mean, it's mind boggling, right? Mm -hmm. You talk to yourself every day. And so be kind mm -hmm. when you're doing it, right? And having the intention of just knowing that um, I intend to get better. Right. Yeah. And I like that's that's all I can work on is intending yeah. to heal and intending to be better mm -hmm. today than I was yesterday, intending to allow myself to feel so that I can move forward. Because if you intend to be sad and sit in that depression, then that that will work. You can do that. You yeah, can intend to will. do it and have it work very right. well uh, for years yeah. and years. Uh, mm -hmm. Or you can intend to take the next first step towards healing. And that's that's how mm -hmm. the journey continues. 
Thank you so much for sharing your story, your resources, um, all the things that you can kind of put a, a, a pin on the chart along the way about things that have been helpful for you for just your openness, because what you have modeled is something that I hope more parents can embrace and do for themselves. Um, and if anybody is struggling, um, not to hesitate just to ask for a connection, just start there. You cannot go wrong. It, it will at least open a door, um, in a direction that eventually you might look back on and say was life-saving for you. So, Dylan, thank you for being one of those people in the world who are intentional, who um, got out of bed, who <laughs> walked the steps, um, who have had the relationships, who have tried again, who have, yeah, reached out when you have had that intuition that somebody was really struggling. It's clear that when we walk those kinds of steps, we make big differences in the lives of other people and also in our own. We heal that way too. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, I hope that even if one person finds it helpful, I'm really right. glad to glad to do yeah. it. Uh, and thanks for doing what you do. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. you know, people that taking the time out of their lives to hopefully help other people. I just think that, you know, it warms my heart that people are doing things like this. And I'm mm -hmm. just so grateful to be a part of it. Thanks for partnering. My pleasure. Have a great afternoon. You too. Take care. Okay. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.